0: Understanding the doctrine of Christ and strengthening our testimony is a labor that will bring real joy and satisfaction. We need to consistently study the words of Christ as found in the scriptures and the words of living prophets. For behold, the words of Christ will tell you all things what you should do. Studying is then another essential key to become a better disciple of Jesus Christ. Prayer and scripture study go hand in hand. They work together for our benefit. This is the process that the Lord has established. To feast means more than to taste. To feast means to savor. We savor the scriptures by studying them in a spirit of delightful discovery and faithful obedience. When we feast upon the words of Christ, they are embedded in the fleshy tables of the heart. So we're starting off uh, the year with Pearl of Great Price, Moses chapter one and Abraham chapter three. And it's really cool because there are two different prophets, two different experiences, but a lot of similarities between the two as far as like what they experience, what they see, what they feel. What the, how the Lord treats them, um, you can tell that there's some a lot of consistency there. And uh, my wife pointed out last night, she, she was preparing to teach the youth Sunday school class today, that this covers like uh, like 3,600 years or something like that. So it's just kind of interesting how you know the same, the, the Lord is the same t- yesterday, today, and forever. Well, yeah, pretty much. One of the things I, I wanted to point out as we get started, is where did we get these books? Because this is not part of the Old Testament. We talk about, we're studying Old Testament and Pearl of Great Price. Well, where where did we get these? And it basically comes from a lot of the work that Joseph Smith did in translating the Bible and working with other documents to to get more information about these uh, Old Testament times. And one of the things he did was, uh, instead of, you know, like consulting the original hebrew and greek and what whatever texts he read the, the king james bible and as he was reading it he would receive inspiration as to different words or different punctuation or different things translations that would uh make sense and make more clarification about different topics and he did this uh through a good chunk of the old testament until in 1831 as we read before in in dnc he was um told to stop doing that and start working on New Testament stuff, and so he didn't finish the entire Old Testament, but a lot of what came of this came from that, and then also some Egyptian papyri that were made available to him that he translated for the book of Abraham, and so it's it's kind of interesting how, you know, the Lord seeks to clarify certain things through his prophets through different means, not just um, only direct revelation. Sometimes it's like, hey, re- read these texts and translate these. You'll get more.
1: Yeah, it's... It's really interesting because I I was looking at um, at the beginning of the lesson. There's a the chapter before this chapter is called Thoughts to Keep in Mind Reading yeah. the Old Testament. And there was a little section that I found it really interesting. In the it's under the the section of Divinely Preserved. And then it says, Don't expect the Old Testament to present a thorough and precise history of humankind. That's not what the original authors and compiler were trying to create. Their larger concern was to teach something about God, about his plan for his children, about what it means to be his covenant people, and about how to find redemption when we don't live up to our covenants. Sometimes they did it by relating historic events as they understood it, including stories from the lives of great prophets. Genesis is an example like this uh, of this as the books like Joshua Judges, 1st and 2nd Kings, but other Old Testament writers did not aim to be historical at all. Instead, they taught through works of art like poetry and literature, and the Psalms and the Proverbs fit this category. And then there are precious works of prophets from Isaiah to Malachi, who spoke the word of the Lord to ancient Israel and through the miracle of the Bible, uh, and it still speaks to us today. And so for me, when I studied the Old Testament, It was through the Institute Manuals, and a lot of the times it it did quote Josephus, and Josephus was an old uh, Greek historian who lived, I think it was, I think he was like 40 AD,
0: Hmm.
1: 40, 30 AD. So he was around right after Christ was killed, and so he wrote a lot of his works, the works of Josephus, almost going through the, the, the Bible, and writing historically what happened in these events. And then you have someone like Joseph Smith, who he retranslated the the Bible and just clear, cleaned up a couple translation mistakes and things. And then he received these papyri, where he got the book of Abraham and the book of Moses from. And, you know, I, I was thinking about, in our day, how valuable it is to keep records and that, the Lord has always instructed records to be kept. He did so in the Book of Mormon, up to the point where even when he appeared in the Americas in 35 Nephi, he asked for, uh, where are the records of um, Samuel the Lamanites? And the people say, ah we, ah, we... And then he says, well, you need to go write what he wrote, because that's important. And then I look at the Old Testament, like you said, so much time occurs in hmm. such a small amount of pages. And so sometimes we can tend to take it literal, like, hey, this is this is when the earth started, this is the year, or, or some literal things that I don't think were meant to be literal. And I know for people that study history and, and the history of humankind, there's one great catastrophe that has left a lot of sadness and remorse amongst historians, and it's the burning of the the, the Library of Alexandria. Yeah. Um, I was looking into that, and it was It mentions that there were roughly, they estimated, roughly 300 to 500,000 archived documents in there. uh, From Egyptian papyri to things about uh, religion, uh, about happenings. And, you know, as you get into this, it's so easy to, like, what happened in history. And that's why we have individuals who make their entire lives work, either doing archaeology or doing research you know into these cultures and finding out what happened because there's a lot of distractions it's a totally different time it's it's a time where people are more tribal and if you conquer someone you kind of wipe them out why maybe so they don't come back and take, kill you in return i don't know it just cuz the old testament is always like has this tone of uh, even the phrases i'm going to go old testament on you like right. i'm going to go hardcore i'm going to be brutal i'm going to be like a barbarian or whatever and Surely there are those things, but I don't think it's any more atrocious than things we've done in the modern day. You know, we still have that same kind of mentality. When we have power, we exercise it over people. In our day, it might be I don't know uh, how we set up loans and interest rates and other things that may appear more civilized. But in those days, it was like you get sold into slavery. You get you get your 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 ground salted and then burned, so you can't even plant crops if you come back here. You know, uh, it's it's really interesting anyway I just wanted to share
0: yeah and at the same time it's it's comforting to know that we don't have to read this as a direct historical document because to me there's some stories in the old testament where I'm like what on earth you know like some of them are just weird like some of them I, I, I the book is an inspired book of scripture but at the same time there's some stories in there like the she bears and things like that that we'll get to that you're just like what what is this and what point does this have in the overall doctrine of the gospel you know like but it's going to be cool because i think a lot of it we'll see has uh a lot more meaning as we're as we delve into it um in the first book of moses i was reading it and i i came across a a quote it's actually from uh a book which i don't have on me right now it's um Basically, a, an Old Testament study guide called Delving Deeper or something like that into the Old Testament. And it says In this one chapter, we find six interdependent and indispensable aspects of the creative signature. The Savior's central role in all of it is number one. Number two, the goodness and glory of the plan of creation. Number three, man being created in the image of God. Number four, the harmony and unity of man and woman in the grand, grand scheme of life. Number five, the principle of free agency. And number six, the everlasting covenant pattern of Sabbath rest as the crowning seal upon the creative act. And so, like, as you start thinking about, okay, in the beginning, there was a heaven and the earth. You know, we we know the creation story. But how many of these things are those six points were fundamental to the plan of happiness? And it's like we need to establish this from the very beginning, from the very day one. We need to establish why man exists. And let's tell Moses, why do you exist? And let's tell, talk about the Savior and that he was created and what your relationship to God is like. Um, all of that stuff is super important. And I think often overlooked when we're just like, oh, he created the earth, he created the sky, he created the animals. You know, And it's like, yeah, but what else was being done here? We were establishing a foundation for the entire plan of salvation. One of the things that's really cool, too, in. Well, first of all, he's talking in, in verse two of Moses one. He saw God face to face. And also in Abraham 3, he mentions speaking to God face to face as a man speaketh to another man. And to me, that was highlighted. And it was really pointed out that that was the case, because um, it's important that we know who God is and that we know what he is like. Because if our if part of our mortal mission is to become more like him, we have to know who he is and what he's like. And it's pretty hard to do that. You know, thinking about the Nicene Creed and how they define who God is and what God is, uh, it's kind of hard to become that, right? This all-present, all-knowing, nebulous kind of being, you can't really become that. But you can fathom becoming someone that you can talk to -to face-to-face, becoming like that person. And the fact that God appeared to both these men in that way, um, to me, it makes me feel like there's... It was important enough for him to be present and it was important enough for him to say hey this is who i am i don't want you to think that i'm some you know all-seeing eye or whatever like this is who i am and i'm speaking to you and i will also wonder how common this is today with our modern prophets right how many times does revelation come through kind of more conventional means and how many times do they actually converse face to face when necessary if a prophet is a prophet you know it's not out of the realm of possibility that that kind of thing could happen
1: yeah, I think it's um, really interesting because I, I was thinking about Preach My Gospel <laughs> uh, and on the mission. They're, they're kind of, I thought it was interesting after it goes through, you know, the several lessons that you teach, that at the end it talks about, well, how do you teach someone who doesn't have a Christian background? Hmm. And it's basically, uh, you don't, you do the exact same thing. There's nothing different. <laughs> you talk about God, the creation the Christ, the Son. And I kind of feel like Moses is having that moment because it's he's being introduced to a, a Christianity what we would call Christianity um, not having that background and he's being told, hey, you were created in my image after the after the pattern or what is it called uh, after the similitude thou art it in verse six, I have a work for thee, Moses, my son and thou art in the similitude of my only begotten and my lonely begotten is and shall be the Savior. For he is full of grace and truth, and there is no God beside me, and all things are present with me, and I know them all. So right away, like you mentioned, Moses is being told, you're my son, and you're just like my beloved Jesus Christ, right? And he has a work to do, and I have a work for you to do as well. Like everyone has purpose here, right? And then um, it's interesting that when, when after well the lord explains all these things to him but he also puts boundaries on what he will share with moses right. he'll say things in verse three uh verse four behold thou art my son wherefore look and i will show unto thee the worksmanship of my hands but not all for my works are without end and also my words for they never cease and then he kind of explains and no one in your state cannot comprehend these things so in order for you to comprehend these things you would have to not be in this state anymore you would have to, which he's also telling him, you will never not comprehend these. He's just saying right now in this state, which is this earthly life, we are to work with what we have and and, and learn. And um, it's a very big contrast to when Christ, not Christ, I, uh, I'm sorry, when Satan appears to Moses. And it's funny because right away starts introducing doubt and starts changing the Kind of the description in the name of things so he'll start by saying hey moses son of man Mm -hmm. you know as opposed to the son of god which moses was told it's a small change you know but it has a big difference and it's Uh, also
0: not false like he has parents on earth he's the son of man yeah which is the way satan kind of works where it's like a half truth right so you can't be like i'm not son of man Yes, you are. Well, yeah, but I'm more than that. But if you don't remember that in the moment, he can he can take you off the path there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's that poison by degrees, you know? Yep. Up to the point where Moses kind of stands up to him and then and and Moses, you know, says in verse eighteen, I will not cease to call upon God. I have other things to inquire of him, for his glory has been upon me, wherefore I can judge between him and thee. Depart hence Satan. And now Moses I said these words, Satan cried out with a less voice, voice and ranted upon the earth and commanded, I am the only begotten, worship me. So now he's gone from a partial truth to a big, huge lie. Right. You know? And it came to pass that Moses began to fear. exceedingly. he began to fear. He saw the bitterness of hell. Nevertheless, calling upon God, he received strength. He commanded, saying, depart from me, Satan! for this one God only will I worship, which God, which is the God of glory. Um in other words, the God of all creation, the God that created us, you know, because he's in this chapter, it's, you can, I see those things very similar that God is saying, all my glory is all my creations and all my creations are you, Moses, you know, yeah. and, and, and my children. And we'll get more into that in Moses three nineteen, right?
0: I think something that's really interesting about this whole interaction is when does that temptation come? When does Satan show up? He shows up like right after an incredibly spiritual experience that Moses has with God. And he comes up, you know, right then to to test him. Let's see where he's at now. And it's funny because in verse 10, it says, And it came to pass that it was for the space of many hours before Moses did again receive his natural strength like unto man. And he said unto himself, Now for this cause I know that man is nothing, which thing I had never I never had supposed. So this is a guy who basically grew up, raised a prince of Egypt. After that, he was kind of thrown out, but he became a prophet and a leader of the Israelites, At this kind of, kind of at this point when he's being called. And he's never really been in a position of uh, dependence, never been really in a position of uh, neediness. And I think he's kind of getting a reality check from God also saying, keep in mind who's, who's in charge here and whose power this is, right? This is my power. And so in that moment when he starts to realize, man, I maybe I I'm not all that. um, He also recognizes my eye. Mine own eyes have beheld God. And it's interesting because in verse 9 right before that um, it says that his glory was not upon Moses. God withdrew from Moses that his glory was not upon Moses. And Moses was left unto himself. But then down in verse 15. He says, blessed be the name of my God, for his spirit hath not altogether withdrawn from me. And I think this is a great illustration of how the gift of the Holy Ghost works. In number nine, he's no longer in the presence of God. He's separated from him. But in verse 15, he's saying, I'm not disconnected from him. I still have the spirit with me to guide me, to give me warning, to give me that discernment to, to tell that Satan is Satan. And that happens to us as well. We may not be in the presence of God all the time, but we have that connection still through the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that's why it's so important so that when things do come along and want to threaten you or want to tempt you, that you can discern uh, truth from false. And it's just interesting to see all of that and to see how Moses in in just this one chapter is is developing quite a bit, you know, from a person that is a generally good, faithful person. I mean, he re- receives it as an experience from God to someone who is challenged and overcomes it.
1: Yeah, I think, I think you're, that's a really good insight, because also, we don't know how long time passed between these events, you know? Right. It seems pretty close uh, together, like this happened in one day, you know? yeah. like one afternoon. Um, and that's something that we have to keep in mind. Is, is But like you said, you know, we don't know how long Moses was by himself with just, you know, the spirit and having to, to work with what he knows. I find it interesting in verse, um, when he turns away Satan, okay, verse 18, where it says, I will not cease to call upon God. I have other things to inquire of him. Yeah. You know, I really like that because I thought, huh, meaning Moses just got done with a one-on-one with God, and he doesn't know everything. He still has questions. Right. You know? And sometimes we, we especially that are searching for an answer or a testimony or something or investigating the church, we could want, hey, I just want that one event that will just fix all the things in my life, that will make everything make sense. And we see it from the beginning. God doesn't work that way. He gives you a little bit, and then he expects you to now exercise your agency and act on that. And that's exactly what Moses did when Satan shows up. He, God said, "You are my son." And so Satan comes to tempt him and say, "Hey, you're not his son, and you're not after the begotten. I'm the begotten one." You know, yeah, you know. He's and, and Moses is true to that. And right after that, in verse uh, 25, um, it says, "And and calling upon the name of God, I beheld his glory again, for it was upon him, and he departed in a voice saying." Blessed art thou, Moses, for I, the Almighty, have chosen thee, and thou shalt be made stronger than many waters, for they shall obey thy command as if it were from God. And lo, I am with thee even unto the end of days, for thou shalt deliver my people from bondage, even Israel my chosen. And so, he didn't receive his calling. It's very much like Joseph Smith. He didn't, it, it was just, Joseph, right now, there is no true church, stand by, and I'll explain more, you know? <laughs> it it, it wasn't one event that said okay and here's and then you're gonna go to Nauvoo and then then independence and and then ultimately you're gonna die um no it it wasn't like that right it was just he got one little thing now be true to that thing you know and i really like this story because it's how a testimony works in all of us we just need one point of data and that point can be as simple as does god exist is he my father you know what's my purpose here on life once you get an answer to that and you search and know, then you're, in the, then you're on the path. And all you have to do is just be true to what you know is true now and cultivate that. And then God will give you more and then a little bit more and, and so on.
0: I think it's also really important to point out that he's showing us how to handle it when, when things get dark and when things get challenging and recalling what it's like to feel that glory, to feel the love of God. Right. In that verse 18, I have other things to inquire of him for his glory has been upon me. Wherefore, I can judge between him and thee. Right. I remember what that felt like. I know what what God is like and I can distinguish what that feels like and you and you are not that, you know. And so even though he's being challenged, and even though he's being faced with a, a temptation or a trial, um, he he doesn't falter because he, he recalls back to what it felt like when he was in the presence of God and says, no, no, I know what that feels like. And how many times does that happen to us where we have an incredibly spiritual experience where we're in the temple or just with, you know, family or whatever it may be. And we feel that and it's like, all right, that's that's undeniable. And then something comes along and makes you question things. It makes you wonder, like, what what's going on with this? And is this true? And is that true? And is the other? Well, I know what that felt like. And if I can recall that and if I can remind myself of what the presence of God and what testimony and. From the, from the Holy Ghost feels like, then I can discern truth from from falsehood, right? I can know what's right and what's wrong. I think that's really interesting because he's showing us right there. This is how you handle it when a temptation comes. This is how you handle it when doubt comes. Recall what it felt like to have that testimony come to you from the spirit.
1: And that, that's probably a good reason to write these spiritual moments down. Right. So you can remember it, I think also is, is a sign of gratitude. And, and we should, there was someone I remember, I don't remember when, but someone um, always said, when you, when you feel the Holy Ghost, and you feel a strong prompting, uh, show gratitude, uh, give, give gratitude to the Lord for that. And I've, I've tried to do that. And, and it's, I don't know, it becomes, I think, easier to feel when you have a spiritual experience or to recognize them as well, you know, um, because the spirit works different with everybody. You know, there's different. But uh, I think that gratitude. The only other thing in this chapter that uh, that uh, all stuck out to me was in verse 26 again. And it was because of last two general conferences ago when President Nelson, he spoke about let Israel prevail, let God prevail, that he had a revelation that he's very exciting about as he was studying it the term Israel, that it means let God prevail. That was that was one of the translations, one of the meanings. And so let God prevail has been a theme that has kind of been throughout this pandemic that has been placed in many, many of his talks in social media comments, especially the one about uh, New Year's. I think he published it like two or three days ago. He said, uh, here are some, the, this is President Nelson, of course, he said, here are some key things to remember and one of them was uh one of the key resolutions for the new year was to let god prevail and so if i read this chapter again i mean verse again it says "Thou shall deliver my people from bondage even israel my chosen and the thought i had was hmm, i'd liken this unto us so those that let god prevail are god's chosen people you know and, that, and that's what what i feel like that's what adds so much of a different meaning to me about Israel because I always looked at Israel as like the stubborn, and, and there is a lot of that, like the stubborn people that irregardless of all these miracles and witnesses, they almost always fell back into the temptation of wanting to be like their neighbors, the Babylonians, wanting to be like the world, even though the Lord is trying to tell them, no, I want you to be unique. I want you to be different. And, and I feel like that was the whole theme up to when Christ came. And now he said, well, now that you are different, it's not for you to become exclusive. It's now for you to go take this gospel to all the world. Um, and, and I think that was the shifting point of the Old Testament to the New Testament in, in, in my thinking. But but that term that let God prevail was was really interesting because if we view it as a people that follow God become his chosen people, it falls right in line with what the Book of Mormon tells us about Israel and what nephi tells us about god's chosen people what christ tells the the pharisees about children of abraham or children of the covenant or god's chosen people is that his chosen people are those who let god prevail meaning the ones that follow god and keep his commandments
0: yeah and it also goes hand in hand with what we find in abraham 3 about you know noble and great ones and um that was chosen before that was born well you know, we talked a little bit at the end of last year about foreordination and predestination and the differences between those things. But it's it's interesting to, to think, you know, who are the noble and great ones? Who are the people that are, are chosen? Like you were saying, it's the people who allow God to prevail, that will do what he says and allow him to do his work and become instruments in his hands. Um, if you're trying to promote yourself to being a chosen person, it's probably not going to work out super well. Um, but if you're putting yourself in a position of service and of doing whatever the Lord is indicating should be done to push forth His work and His glory, right, to bring to pass the immortality and the eternal life of man, then you are the, one of the chosen. It's that simple. Like, I I just think there's a lot of, there's a lot of truth to that. If that is truly the work and glory of God to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man, that should also be our work. That should also be things that we are involved in. If we want to become like him, we should be working. Think about when when Jesus went to the temple when he was a child. And his parents couldn't find him and they found him and they were like, what are you doing? Where have you been? What are you doing? He's like, I've been about my father's work. That's how we should be. We should also be anxiously engaged in his work and his glory. I think a lot of times we lose track of that because we become, I don't know, if it's that we're just by by nature a little bit self-centered. How am I doing? Where am I? Where do I stand? Am I a chosen person? Am I a noble and great one? Well, guess what? Um, You're not if you're just thinking about yourself, (laughs) right? If you start thinking about others and and serving others, then you are representing him, uh, much the way that Moses and Abraham were both called to do, Um, not necessarily as prophets, but in in your own role and in your own realm. Um, You have ways to be Uh, instrumental in bringing to pass that work in glory
1: i i like what you mentioned about uh, earlier when you mentioned that moses was a prince of egypt you know and he comes to that realization that oh okay we're not (laughs) that great which imagine like egypt at the time was probably like the most advanced civilization on earth and had so much power and had the israelites in total bondage and for him to now realize, oh, wow, you know, like, I thought we were the center of the universe, right? right? And God is showing him, no, you're not. And then with Abraham, it's kind of a a different story. Abraham is, is, is his father is one of the priests of uh, one of the gods of Egypt, I forget the name. And his father now takes him... And wants to sacrifice Abraham, and right before his father kills Abraham, an angel appears and stops him. And Abraham escapes, and then you know he Abraham becomes so well known for his understanding of the cosmos, the existence, and why it's because of Abraham Three. God shows him (laughs) uh, all of these things, and he he gives him and there's cool things that I like in Abraham Three. When the Lord says like in verse six, now Abraham, these two facts exist. It's almost like he's telling him, "Here's some rules, some laws. Here's like the the, the Pythagorean don't theorem. These. Yeah. <laughs> when this happens, this will always happen. Right. And and what he's kind of saying is, when you have a, a a greater sun or a greater light, then you have time reckoning. And and, I, and this will always if there's a big thing, there's one even bigger than that. Okay. So. <laughs> You know, and then he does kind of the similar thing with the spirits, you know. Hey, Abraham, there's a spirit and that one. And as great as that one is, there's one that's better. And then there's one that's better. And then there's. So I think God is showing Abraham not that there's a hierarchy, but that there's progression. Right. That things progress. And, and um sometimes I, at first I took this, the greater spirit and there's a greater spirit and there's a greater To mean that, oh, so we're kind of just kind of the way we are. It was almost like a predestination and for me, I don't see it that way anymore. I see it more like, "Oh, what he's saying is there's eternal progression. He was showing Abraham eternal progression, and now we know that his work in its glory is to bring to pass eternal life for man, meaning to make them everything God knows and you can know. I also like the words, uh, cocoa beam. I think that sounds awesome. You know, "olea" for the moon. You know, um, anyway, I I just think it's, you, you see someone like Moses, there are certain characters in history, especially amongst the Judeo-Christian religions, that these characters have always been deemed as great prophets. And that their story was able to survive hundreds and thousands of years of wars. And I think it's because they were very prominent people. You know, Moses is a very prominent prophet. And so was Abraham. And their interaction with the Lord, I think, is what helped them become so impactful. That they haven't been forgotten to this day. You know what I mean? And they too had agency. I like to think about that. That they had agency. You know, it's it's very ironic that for Abraham, he starts the story with him. Begins as his father's going to sacrifice him at his altar. And it almost ends with him being asked at the end for God to sacrifice his son. And the irony between that story that, hey, in this scenario, like, do you love me enough for me now to ask you? where this story began with you and you being sacrificed by now you know it's kind of like very poetic
0: a lot of what you're saying is is exactly how i felt as i was reading it and i really liked verse 12 um well 11 and 12. this is kind of what i mentioned before it says thus abraham talked with the lord face to face as one man talketh to it with another and he told me of the works which his hands had made And he said unto me, my son, my son, and his hand stretched was stretched out. Behold, I will show and I will show you all these. And he put his hand upon mine eyes. And I saw those things which his hands had made, which were many, and they multiplied before mine eyes. And I could not see the end thereof. It's it's a loving father. Who is saying, look, I want to give you a glimpse of everything. You're not going to understand all of it. I'm going to explain some of the basics so you kind of get an understanding of the context here. But I want to show you all of this, and why does he want to do that? In verse 15, and the Lord said unto me, Abraham, I show you these things unto thee before you go into Egypt that ye may declare all these words. I want to help you understand the magnitude of the importance of what you're about to do. So that when you go and teach, when you go and you you represent me as my prophet. Even though you will not be talking and sharing all of this stuff with everyone. Um, you will at least understand why it's so important that you do this. Why it's so important that this be shared, right? Um, And just the, like, my son, my son part was just like, man, it's just really cool because we see this omnipotent God as being, you know, he's managing all of the cosmos on one hand. On the other hand, he's walking this individual spirit through saying, here's how this all works, you know? And that to me is just so dang cool <laughs> because it's like he really does care about each one of us as individuals and he does see us as individuals and we matter even though that the multitudes are endless and even though worlds are without number and all that, each individual matters enough to the Lord.
1: I don't know. there There's so much here. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like the gist of it is God shows them both the creation. Yep. And it starts with the planets and the suns and the stars and, because it's something that we cannot deny, it, you know, as much as nowadays people want to deny everything, right? Even what, but for them, it was like, that's imagine not understanding these things, but knowing that you need the sun to grow food and you need that food to eat to live. You need the moon to be able to see at night or to, you know, measure time and all these things. And now he shows them, okay, I created these. And that would blow your mind, you know, in those days, right? And then, and then the bigger thing is, and I created you, okay? And now they're saying in verse, uh, let's see, verse 24 and 25, and they say, and there stood one among them who was like unto God, and he said unto those who were with him, we will go down for there is space there, and we will make of these materials, and we will make an earth whereon these may dwell. So he's talking about all these spirits. Now they see all these spirits that were in the presence of God. And and they say, well, now we will go create a place for them to be. And 25 is a big one. And we will prove them herewith to see if they will do all things whatsoever the Lord their God shall command them. And this is an interesting thing because part of the purpose, part of knowing what the purpose of this life is, is this scripture. Knowing that we're here to to prove ourselves. And it's not it's 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 different how we're proved to keep God's commandments because God doesn't force us to keep his commandments He invites us he lets us have this the light of Christ he we know right from wrong we and then we use our agency to go grow and seek out what these command what the best way to live and exist is that's what the commandments are it's a pattern for what is happiness and what is the proper way to live and exist. And there's so much self-help books and all these things, and they're wonderful, but they're all built upon these principles. All of these principles are together of what is the best way to exist and to pass this limited time we have here. And it almost always goes to look outside yourself, serve others, grow in knowledge, uh, be honest. Uh, get rid of toxicity, uh, have karma, and do good things to people, Uh, learn to stretch yourself, get out of your comfort zone, cultivate a growth mindset. You know, you could keep going, all these things. And I'm like, all of that is in the gospel. And if we're not finding that in the gospel, we're not understanding Abraham chapter three, (laughs) and what the Lord is telling us about progression and our purpose for being here. And then we're told, okay, the Lord has said, okay, here are all the things I've made. You're one of those. Now you need to be tested for what reason and what purpose so you can know right and wrong and dwell with me and and, and, and have eternal progression right but how like the, the linchpin the thing that connects all of these things is then in verse um 27 which is an idol lord whom shall i send well 26 and they who keep their first estate shall be added upon and we know the first estate is the pre-existent life you know who choose to come take a body, to come to earth, to to use your agency, to learn to think for yourself, right? Um, And those who keep not their first estate shall not have glory in the same kingdom with those who keep their first estate, and those who keep their second estate shall have glory added upon their heads forever and ever. And the Lord said, who shall I send? And one answered unto the Son of Man, here am I, send me. And another said, here am I, send me. And the Lord said, I will send the first. And the second was angry and kept not his first estate, and that... And at that day, many followed after him. Obviously, we're talking about Jesus Christ and Lucifer or Satan. And one said, here am I, send me. And we'll we'll hear more about this. And we all kind of know the story, right? And what happens. But Christ is willing to say, I will go and be an example. You know, I will go and show them and be an example. And carry out the atonement and all the glory be to you, Father, right? And the other one kind of said, No, I'll go. But if I'm going to do all this work, <laughs> I'm getting the credit. But I'll make sure that no one, you know, I'll force them to do what's right. Or I won't allow choice, you know. And-,
0: and you could even frame it in a more positive view by saying, I will make sure that no one is lost. I'll make sure that we all make it back. Because if someone was like, I'm going to force everybody, I'm going to make sure no one makes a, a mistake, that wouldn't sell it to me. But if someone was like, I can guarantee no one gets lost, that we all come back to your presence. I could see how some people might be enticed by that, by the idea of no failure. We can't fail. We will go down, we'll get our bodies, we'll all come back, I promise. You know, well, and it's like, it, wow, that sounds really, really
1: good. <laughs> that's And that that right there is what we call the war in heaven, right? Right. But that's, that ideology, that battle of ideology is still going on in this day, you know? Sometimes we want to force correct behavior. But the Lord says, I don't force behavior. He didn't even
0: force. Look, he didn't even force Christ to do this. And the Lord said, whom shall I send? It was a question. It wasn't like, all right, everybody listen up. Jesus is going right. It was whom shall I send? He knew everyone knew what was going to happen. He knew what was going to happen. But he still asked a question, still left it up for the Savior to say, here am I, send me.
1: Hmm. It's it's important, like it's really good to ponder that principle of how agency has a cost, uh, but there is no, why is there, why is, can there be no real growth without choice? And I think Second Nephi chapter 2 gets into this when Lehi talks about there must be opposition in all things, yep. and he talks about the garden of Eden and the fruit, and we're going to get into that how Adam and Eve had to make a choice you can either remain in a parasitical glory where there is really no choice, but you're happy, but you don't know that you're happy because you haven't, you don't know what unhappiness means. You don't know what thorns feel like, what bitterness, you know, what, you know, feels in comparison to sweet. And I think that's part of this experience that continues with us in our lives every day. We are, as we grow, we learn Oh, there's contradiction. There's deceitfulness. Right. People can do this. Oh, people can lie. Oh, they're scammers, trollers, You know, uh, people who abuse power. People who abuse people. You know, all these. Why does God let bad things happen? And that's one of the big questions. Because we want. Oh, well, if there is a being with greater power, we would like for them to step in and prevent people from using their agency to hurt others. And that's almost like it's a good sentiment, especially if you're the one that being that's being. Uh, damage or hurt or abuse but in the greater scheme of things we have to be able to make choices and unfortunately unfortunately some of those choices hurt people and that's part of this that's part of the plan is we have a savior who will correct those things in their due time and god doesn't want us to go out there being hurting people he wants us to learn and we can we're we're so amazing the way we've built that we can learn from our own experiences and we can also learn from others experiences so we don't have to make fatal decisions or fatal choices but if we have we the atonement is powerful enough and if we use our agency correctly and honestly we can be forgiven even from the greatest of mistakes
0: and if you look at this this plan the mere fact that we're here on this earth and that we're talking and that we're breathing and that we're making good and bad decisions proves that we already kept our first estate. We already made one really good, important decision. And, you know, when I was a missionary and I was teaching the plan of salvation to people, I I would tell them, you know, this seems like it's a long road and it seems like there's a lot of things that can go wrong along the way. You've already made it a third of the way. You've already made one huge decision right. Let's keep up the trend you know let's make the good decisions continue in this life because you've kept your first estate keep the second one and the glory will be added upon you and what that means is you can become like him someday that we're on we're already on the path it's not something you're starting you've already started it you're in the middle of it keep going you know yeah. if you think of it that that's, way it's not so that's why
1: a lot of this is a reminder you know yeah. what i mean i think that that christ they don't send anyone here That doesn't have a chance of making it and if and if the string on the wheel of time the weave of the pattern gets cut early by someone's decisions well you have the spirit world and you have the millennium nothing will ever be lost right if if the person is willing they'll be away because i like i think it was you who said that the lord is not in the business of being bad at his job you know what i mean like or something along those lines like he's not bad at what he does he's good at he's a savior he's going to save people but I think sometimes we we get into this weird place where we think, hmm, we don't either either we have to do it all ourselves, or by being more perfect I alleviate some of the suffering and Gethsemane. So it's like reverse points. It's not just <laughs> I didn't sin as much, but I just didn't give them as much suffering, and so I'm more favored. And it's like that's not that's not how it works. It's an eternal atonement. Meaning every possibility, every outcome, multiverses, whatever you want to call it, you throw it all in there. It did it. But I, I just think it's interesting that that um, we we get stuck in this uh, nation, like we 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 did something so great that we have no recollection of because we want to think ourselves special over, which is pride, right? And then and then we also like we we become I don't know which we all do, and we don't realize that. With your patriarchal blessings, with your ordinations, like I think everyone, like when we go to the temple, we all get blessed to become kings and priestesses and whatever, right? I think everyone gets that before they were sent here, as well, you know, I, you know. And so we try to think like that there's a some sort of like secret club, but it's like everyone that got sent here kept their first estate. And those who kept their first estate, it tells us there um, in 26, those who keep their first estate and those who keep their second estate shall have glory added upon their heads forever and ever. So everyone that's here has the potential to be a god. But in the selection pool to be a god, in that lobby, we're all sitting there. And we're trying to trick ourselves into creating false currencies, crypto spiritual currencies, where we try to say that we're more special than someone else. Where at the beginning of this, we know that God said, those who are special are the ones that keep the commandments. And that's kind of all up to you. He's already given us all the ticket to get in. You just have to get punched at the right locations and walk the right path to get to the door. And we're all like trying to in the lobby. Like, <laughs> we're not even there yet. We're already trying to decide who makes it and who doesn't. You know, That's how, like, how ridiculous it
0: is. Well, and it's, notice that Abraham is not the one saying, I am one of the chosen. The Lord was the one telling him, thou art one of them. That was chosen before that was born. And he's like, oh, that's why you're asking me to do this. And then he's going to carry it on from there. He's not saying, yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm one of those, right, Lord? Right? it's the Lord telling him. And so whenever, whenever I see people kind of, I don't know, kind of implying that they have some sort of inherent ability or status above others, I'm like, that's not how that works. You don't tell the Lord that you're a chosen one. Um, You you show it through your actions, and he'll tell you if you are chosen to do something.
1: I I view it as if anybody can fall, which we know King David, one of the most awesome people of all time. And he might be okay at the end of the day, I don't know. But even if God can say something like if God were to change, he would cease to be God in the Book of Mormon. The Inversely, I think anybody who is a pile of scum can become awesome and chosen. God gives us certain limits that he has to tell us like, hey, there's sons to perdition, but <laughs> that's really hard to do and good luck. And then there's like people who get translated like, hey, you've done something You're like you cannot remain here anymore. Uh, just, let's straight to level three go whatever right <laughs> yeah you know i that's what i like about it. the more i learn about the gospel the more i realize it's very dynamic there isn't one path the lord doesn't write like this is the only way he says this is the only way for certain things certain covenants certain like almost like tests moments of integrity but we see that there's just a lot of different examples Dude, have you ever looked at something that was so technical that looked almost like art?
0: Yeah.
1: And then sometimes you look at something that's so artistic that can be viewed like so technical. like. Yeah. And that's like where I think the gospel is. There's so much structure in order, but also there's so much art on how like things happen. And that within the structure, there's the freedom of expression but the overall thing is like dialed in where God is in control type of thing. You know what I mean?
0: It's kind of like an impressionist painting where when you look at it from outside, you can see the shape of it, you can see the forms, but it's kind of blurry. And there's some, you know, dreamy aspect to it because it's not really crisp defined lines. But when you go in, zoom in close, you see how every minuscule brushstroke, every color is where exactly where it needs to be to create that overall image. Yeah. You know, it's so detailed, so precise, but then you you zoom out and it's like, wow, this this doesn't look precise at all. You know, kind of like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense.
0: Become an engaged learner. Immerse yourself in the scriptures to understand better Christ's mission and ministry. Know the doctrine of Christ so that you understand its power for your life. Internalize the truth that the Atonement of Jesus Christ applies to you. Every time you plug in your phone, use it as a reminder to ask yourself if you have plugged into the most important source of spiritual power, prayer and scripture study, which will charge you with inspiration through the Holy Ghost. It will help you know the mind and will of the Lord to make the small but important daily choices that determine your direction. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come
1: follow me.